We've all heard the phrase, thoughts are things. And while many may believe this idea has merit, what if you could actually see your thoughts forming right before you? Well, according to out-of-body expert William Buhlman, we can. In fact, he says not only can we witness our thoughts taking form, we can manifest our reality through thought in the out-of-body state. The idea of utilizing self-initiated OBEs to manifest is an angle that William says he's never covered on air before. That is, until now. Listen in as he reveals another dimension to out-of-body experiences and how we can put the power of creation completely within our hands. Well, William, it is always a pleasure to have you back on the show and a treat for our audience who I know love to hear all of what you have to say about the subject of out of body experience. You know, the subject never gets old, not for me, and I don't think for a lot of other people, because there's always something new to learn. But today, you know, we're going to be covering an area in which I don't think you and I have discussed previously on the show. And I think this we were just saying off air, this is about your fourth time back. This time, we're going to be talking about how self-initiated OBEs can be utilized to create reality on the physical plane. That's exciting, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> and I, I think for the record, this will be your inaugural talk on such a subject on the air. You had mentioned that you have brought this up. We're talking again about manifesting, uh, intending and, and bringing uh, our manifestation or bringing our intentions into manifestation. Um, you, you've mentioned, you've talked about this in your workshops, but not on air. So I'm very privileged to be the first to have this discussion with you. Well, you know, I interviewed your longtime friend, uh, Ken Elliott, author of the book Manifesting 123, about a little less than a year ago. And during our talk, he mentioned how you've explored the idea of manifesting while in the OBE state. I want to play a little clip, uh, William, from my interview with Ken about your ideas on such things, and then I'll have you elaborate on the back end. So let's take a listen. And When you think of something it immediately begins to form, and it, and, and my friend William Buhlman, who's been on your show, he mm-hmm. mentioned this, it's just a side conversation one time, and I flipped out on it, and I said, wait a minute, what, what, what are you talking about? You, you go to the other side, he's an out-of-body guy, you go to the other side, and you see the things on your wish list sort of arrayed over there in various forms of development? He said, yeah, and I said, well, 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 go through that again, and he said, well, let's say I want a new car. I've been I've been making a wish list of this new car. Maybe I'll put my hand on it. Maybe I'll <clears throat> William didn't do this, but we're just embellishing this wish list. So maybe mm-hmm. you touch it every day. You put it on your mirror, you burn a candle on it. You had some sort of little ceremony or not. And you carry it in your pocket and you see this thing every day. So he's been wanting a new car. We'll use him for an example. And this this is I'm putting words in his mouth, but he did do these wish lists. So the example is a car. You're working on this car for three weeks two weeks. And in William's world, it's our world too, but he can go out of body and see this and mm-hmm. show can Judy. He can see that car forming up. It's like a wisp of smoke. It's like a vapor. Now you can look at the vapor over there and you have these knowings and that vapor is the car. Now, if he'd been working on it for six or eight weeks, maybe, or just more intensively, I'm, I'm not going to put a time frame on this. If he worked on that more, that car would start to form up. It would take a shape of a car. Mm-hmm. You couldn't miss it. That's the car I'm working on. You do it some more, some more, it starts to get a blush of color. It, it eventually will become very 3D over there in the spirit world, full color, and you know it's coming over in days or weeks, not months or years. Mm-hmm. And and you have built this with your thoughts. Wow. Well, you know, when Ken brought you up in our interview earlier this year, within the context of manifesting from the spirit realm, I knew I had to have you on the show to discuss this subject because I think there are just some very important implications for what we're talking about. So I want you to go for it, William. Just just what are we talking about here, manifesting in the OBE state? What is this all about? Well, the the basics of it is simple, is that we live in a multidimensional universe and we are multidimensional beings. And that all things, and we have to look at the world in reverse of what many people look at it. People look at everything as being a form-based, a physical event and a physical object, and reality is only physical. But once you open your mind to the concept that the universe is multidimensional and that when we leave our bodies, 
whether it be spontaneous or self-initiated. The same applies to near-death experiences. We are moving inward into the non-physical aspects of this multidimensional continuum. So all manifestation begins inward mm -hmm. as a thought form. All manifestations, the entire planet, everything we see around us is a part of a spectrum of creation. In other words, every tree, every, every home, everything that surrounds us is multidimensional. And this is proven time and time again when we have OBEs because we begin to enter the less dense areas of the universe. Look at it this way. The physical is the epidermis mm -hmm. of the universe. It's the outer crust. And when we leave our bodies, we enter into the subtle substructure. And as such, that is where the manifestation begins. And if we go deep enough in, we realize that everything around us manifested as a thought first. In other words, everything around us is a thought form, which is probably the best way to think of it. Mm -hmm. It's a very subtle projection of thought energy which is very creative and it begins to take shape when we focus on any kind of thing in our lives we begin to mold that subtle energy that exists all around us that but we can't see it because it's so subtle mm -hmm. and we begin to shape these thought forms when we begin to remain focused on a specific object it doesn't matter what the object may be. And we're doing this all the time. In other words, if you think about, um, Ken uses the analogy of a car, which is a good analogy. If you're thinking of a car and you want a new car in your life, your very insistent or persistent thoughts of this will begin to shape that subtle reality. In other words, the thoughts will begin to take form in the inner dimensions of the universe. And these thoughts are the beginning of creation. The mechanics of creation is an inward to outward process. It doesn't just magically appear in the physical, even though it may look like that to us. Suddenly there's a physical object. Mm -hmm. There's a mechanics occurring, and this mechanics is exciting because we are the creators of this, this very thought form creation. And we're doing it all the time. Every Look at your home. Everybody, whoever's listening, just look around your home right now. Every single object that you own, that you are surrounded by, began with a thought. Somewhere you decided, oh, I'd like to have this. And then suddenly, over sometimes it's quickly, but sometimes it could be longer, your home. Every single object, your furniture, they were all thoughts at one point. That's right. And they slowly, in many cases, became denser. Your thoughts begin to take form in the mental, let's just call it the intellectual or the mental dimension. These thoughts, our creative power, which we have to, to mold thoughts, begins to take form energetically. And then they begin, as we continue to maintain our focus, they begin to become more dense, three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. One of the great advantages of OBEs is that when you leave your body, you are actually entering the thought-responsive energy dimensions. And when you do this, many people actually see these thought forms. Yeah, well, that's what I want to get into. people don't yeah. understand it, because they're not, some of them are only partially formed. Mm -hmm. But it's, there's many times they may look like a, or be perceived as a hologram type, an energy hologram that is beginning to take shape as a, it may look like a cloud initially mm -hmm. that's transparent. And as we focus upon this, this, let's just call it for, to make it clear, it's like a cloud of non-physical energy that begins to take shape into any form that we focus upon. And this is a substructure of matter. Mm -hmm. Each of us is constantly molding our future reality by how we manipulate 
and focus our thoughts today. Mm -hmm. This is the unseen mechanics of creation. We do it all the time. Absolutely. You know, I want to interject something if I I could, because you're getting deep, deep, deep. And I know this is a a subject that can go in so many different dimensions. But, you know, the whole idea, this is not a new idea necessarily, uh, William, in terms of uh, thought being the precursor to manifestation, whether conscious or unconscious. I always think of, you know, you've asked the audience to look around their home and just be cognizant of the fact that everything that they're visually perceiving first began as a thought, which I agree. Um, and especially if it's something that you've been manifesting, I'm going to decorate this room uh, and paint it a certain color. That first had to be a thought before it had uh, before it came into manifestation. But let's talk about the natural world just for a minute or two. You know, the trees that we see and the grass and, and the flowers, those two, there had to be some consciousness associated with that in order for them to come into fruition. This is where it gets a little deep for me, and, and I think in general, because what, now we're really talking about a conscious universe that had to think the natural world even into existence, right? Yes, indeed. Everything is consciousness at its core. So everything has been on some level created by some form of consciousness. Right. And it's quite exciting because everything is a manifestation. You know, if you like, I can share a story that may clarify this. I'd love it. Love for you to go for it. Um, in my workshops, I tell a story. This is it goes back um, well, almost probably eighteen years ago. I had I had a house in Michigan, and it, we bought we we bought a brand new builder's model home, and it was all builder's white with a white fireplace. And my wife, this is in the great room or the living room. My wife and I both decided that we wanted to get a stone facade put on the fireplace. Mm -hmm. It was just boring white fireplace. So we made the plan. We picked out the stone. We had a sandstone mantle picked out. I paid a contractor or stonemason to do the work. But it was, it took almost, this was when Michigan, parts of Michigan were booming. I had to wait almost two months for the contractor to actually install the facade, the stone. This is also where I do my OBE work in front of the fire. I have my sofa in front of the sofa in front of the fireplace. And this is where during the day, generally around one o'clock, I do a lot of my OBE self-initiated work. Mm-hmm. It's been what I've been doing for decades. Same, same program. So during, this is after my wife and I, we put a deposit on this, on the fireplace. We purchased the stone. I had samples actually on the fireplace of what the stone what this fireplace would be when it's completed in six to eight weeks. So during my OBEs during this process, I had uh, several out-of-body experiences during this six to eight-week period. And what almost shocked me, for lack of a better word, during my first out-of-body experience, I went for a normal exit. And when I exited my body and observed my reality, I, I noticed there was something different. I was in the, what I call the parallel world, mm-hmm. the closest to the physical. And I observed in the out-of-body state that this fireplace that was flat was now, it was like a hologram of, for lack of a better word, it looked like a bumpy hologram. That was see, it was, I could see through it, but it was changing its shape into the precursor of stone. It was still, it was like, and it looked like a hologram from the out-of-body state. Mm-hmm. And what I then, it, it, I realized after staring at it for a, a bit, that I was beginning to observe the energy, the unseen mechanics of creation is that our thoughts, my wife and I's thoughts on manifesting this had begun to shape the non-physical parallel world that is a substructure of my physical world. And I had, we, collectively, had begun to alter the substructure of matter energetically with our thoughts. In other words, this fireplace was beginning to take shape energetically Mm -hmm. in the non-physical dimension. And this is what, this is mechanics of creation. This is what we do all the time 
when we focus on a creative act or process in our lives. Absolutely. And this just kind of clearly says it's we're affecting the substructure of matter, which is the the non-physical dimension parallel to us. Right. Right. And this is the building blocks of all creation. It all begins from the inward dimensions and then works its way outward into matter. That is just absolutely fascinating, um, beyond fascinating. This is, I, I always hesitate to use that word proof, but if, if anyone needed, uh, let's just say, strong evidence that this is exactly how it works, and this is not something you conjured, this is something you observed, you yeah. are really getting to see the, you call it the substructure, we can call it the the invisible infrastructure, not so invisible, of how this actually works. I think that is amazing uh and and we all do this we all do this and so what you're saying is that if we were to actively perhaps even in in a meditative state but in your case in an uh a self-initiated obe state that's an opportunity to maybe check in to see how our uh desires are coming to fruition yes during um this is also what I feel that psychics are reading around us when they begin. People say, what is a psychic actually reading? People you, people get readings for the future. Yeah. Many psychics, I feel, are actually picking up on the thought forms yeah, that sure. are around us. Because we carry, this is in our energy field. Sure. We're carrying our future. If you're fixated on whatever it may be, that is part of your energy field. Mm-hmm. And psychics that are... A psychic in the old days, when I was growing up, they were called sensitives. They're sensitive to energy. They're sensitive to also thought forms, which is energy. And they are picking up on this future that you are beginning to build in your own energy field. Mm -hmm. It's a matter, and this is a very important uh, process that we all, this is part of one of the reasons we're in a physical body. We're learning how to be consciously powerful and effective creators of our reality. Absolutely. And when we begin to recognize that we are the creative force, and this is part of the training that we're going through, very few people are aware of it, though. They think uh, their their world is ruled by luck and a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And, but eventually, we have to grow up and learn that we are the creative energy force. That's right. And we have to learn to learn the rules of the road. How do we manage our energy? How do we manage our creative force so that we can build the life we want instead of being the result of other people's thoughts? Right. I was just going to say other people's thought forms, because if we're not consciously creating a reality, there are a lot of people that would be happy to do it for that's you. Right. And I think that's been the history of our world, frankly. That and was- that's what's causing a lot of the problems in the world. Absolutely. Is that there is a collective thoughts are very powerful. Nations have a collective thoughts. Religions have collective thoughts. And they are the more people that are involved in these creation of these thought forms, so often the more powerful these thought forms become. And people are, in a sense, are being manipulated by the collective thought forms. And many of these are negative, like as we see in the world today, these these uh, groups that are going around killing people because of why are they killing? They're killing them for an idea. You know, um, it's an idea they're killing for. Mm-hmm. An idea is a thought form. That's right. Yeah. So we have to learn to take control of our own thought forms, not only so we can be effective creators of our own reality but also so that we're not manipulated like puppets by other groups' thought forms Mm -hmm. that are always in our environment because they're part of our living condition. In other words, the government puts out thought forms or collective. The media puts out thought forms. We're constantly manipulated or potentially moved. and Manipulated is probably a very good word. Conditioned from birth often by certain belief systems, and then we're indoctrinated as children 
by these concepts that we believe about ourselves and our reality. Mm -hmm. And all of these are thought forms that are influencing us. So we have to learn to not only to be the powerful creator of our own thought forms, but to also realize and learn how to defend yourself from other people's thought forms that may be somehow, let's just say, manipulating your uh, your state of consciousness. Right. Certainly don't have your best interests at, at heart. And I think you're making a very good point. This is a powerful thing. You know, we've we've heard this some semblance of this before, that thought is the creator, it precedes the creation. And yet, I don't know that people are really taking this to heart. Uh, you talk about uh, collective thought and thoughts from our so-called power structures or thought forms that they have and intentions. And not only because there's a very, very, apparently they know how this works and they know, uh, you know, what it takes to, to create reality based on persistent thought. But not only are they doing that, uh, Bill, I think in the indoctrination process, they're getting our thoughts or the collective's thoughts to be in alignment with theirs, which adds even more juice, if you will, to the likelihood of manifestation. Oh, absolutely. Look at all the things that we've been indoctrinated to believe from birth. Right. Um, if, and anybody that thinks they've not indoctrinated, just they have to ask themselves one question. What would you believe today if you were born in Iran or China? Mm. What would be your belief system? What would be your religion? What would be your national flag that you would defend with your life? What you know, everything about your beliefs today would be be altered and shifted. So we have all been indoctrinated by our society and our culture, and often the indoctrination was not necessarily for our benefit. It's for the benefit, often, of the collective. Mm-hmm. It's not for the benefit of the individual. No, and that's what we always have to be careful of. I mean, look at the belief systems today and how some of them are so incredibly warped and dangerous. Mm -hmm. And yet millions and millions of people believe these belief systems where, you know, basically you have to kill someone who doesn't agree with you. Yeah. And that's, and it's running rampant in the world. It sure is. it's, It's nothing more than a thought form created by a collective that is spreading throughout the world. That's what I mean about we have to be careful. Um, There's an old saying, don't believe everything you think. Mm. Because we have to be strong enough to to step outside ourselves a little bit and examine our own beliefs. Why do you believe what you do? What evidence supports your beliefs? You know, why why do you feel the way you do about certain things? Uh, is it because you were con- conditioned from birth to believe a certain way, which is often the case? Of course. I mean, it's it really takes some effort and courage to examine your own beliefs and see, uh, are you really a free thinker like you may think you are? Or are you are you just a puppet of religions and governments and powerful belief systems yeah. of the media? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you and I have had the discussion, I think, quite a few times about the, even the word belief, and I, audience is probably going to get sick of me saying it, but I think it stands, uh, it deserves repeating. The idea of belief, William, to me, just on its face has always implied doubt. You either know something or you don't. And if you know it, there's no need to believe. So I think just the whole idea of belief in anything is fundamentally flawed. You know, that's a another dimension of discussion. And oh, yet I, it's it's relevant here. Um, yes, it is. Yeah, it's very relevant. But, you know, I want to I wanted this is all related because I think it's going to take this sort of righteous indignation that I'm hearing in your voice to and that courage to examine how we have arrived at the at the worldview and the ideologies that we as individuals carry and then begin to reverse that trajectory to do the, the, the good stuff that we're meant to do, and that is create through thought form. I want you to tell another story, if you don't mind, because I think it's the coolest thing. You know, you mentioned China a few moments ago in, in a not-so-great context, but let's talk about your desire to want to spend uh, an extended stay in China and how you might have used your thought forms and manifestation to make that come true. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, uh, uh, for, I was always intrigued by uh, Chinese culture and their, their, uh, their furniture and 
my wife and I had actually went out and bought um, a whole bunch of Chinese furniture. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember saying to my wife, that uh, and I've studied China for some reason. It's maybe it's a past past life. I was going to say point. maybe, <laughs> maybe. But I, I I've always been intrigued by the whole whole uh, the culture and the history of 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 the not only China but many of much of Asia. So here we are. We went out and we bought a, this beautiful Chinese cabinet and table and a bunch of other um, furniture. And lo and behold, while we're having these discussions, my wife is suddenly, and this is how, then we're talking about a thought form building. Mm-hmm. By this act, by, by, our, by my interest in China and buying furniture and manifesting furniture and bringing it into the house, lo and behold, in within a week, my wife was actually offered a position with, she was working at General Motors, and she was offered a position in Shanghai, China, uh, for a three-year assignment. Oh, my goodness. So, and this is within, I swear it was a week. Even my wife is saying, are you, you know, she said, are you kidding me? So, immediately, she, she called me and says, I, I was just offered a three-year assignment in Shanghai. She said, do you want to do it? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, let's go. So, we did. She took the three-year assignment. We ended up staying for four. We liked it so much. And we lived in Shanghai for four years. But this was because of the thought form that was created. Yeah. That, that was part of the process of yeah. this. You know, there's, there's no coincidence. No. Uh, there's, it's all about energy. The universe is all about the manifestation and let's just call it the, the molding of energy. And then how it, how it manifests in our lives. And how open we are. And this is another thing. You have to be open to change. Open to different things. Many people want to manifest things in their lives. But they, they're afraid of change. And a big part of manifestation is about opening your state of consciousness to be almost unlimited change. And that's when things happen quickly. Mm, that's a very important point. That's a very key point. You're absolutely you're right about that. Everyone is wanting for a change in circumstances, but perhaps not an habitual change or a change in habit that would make way for 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 something big like this to happen. Well, you know, I want to comment on the China. I wasn't. I knew generally speaking. Uh, I believe Ken had told me what had happened, but I didn't know. I didn't know whether it was something that you were clearly uh, intending for in the out of body state, or if it just poof happened and it seems it was the latter but didn't poof happen i think uh bill that it's more than the thought at this point this was pure passion that had the juice to carry this uh this idea into fruition you know i, I, I oh yes and passion yeah. is the juice of a thought form that's right so that it is what activates it right Right. It can't be a thought on its own. You know, a lot of people, they hear, oh, I'm just going to recite this affirmation, but without any, without putting our heart into it, literally, um, I, I, it, it just, it lacks a lot of energetic juice. So clearly there was something going on there. I think that is just amazing. Well, I, let's talk again. I, off air, we were talking a little bit about um, someone who I've written about a little bit and I find his concept uh, or philosophy quite interesting, and that's Henri or Henry, however you want to say it, French philosopher Henry Corbin. His ide- ideas on such things, which he called the imaginal realm or mundus imaginalis. It's literally, as he described it, a dimension of existence in which our minds have the power uh, to create a scenario and bring it down into the physical plane as an actual manifestation. I think this is what we're talking about, right? Just different words to to describe this less denser and very potent dimension of space. Yes, I, I think it is. Uh, it's the parallel energy world that supports all of matter. People give it different names. A uh, theosophist has, has called it the astral. Uh, there's been many different names. Yogis have their own term for it. And it's, uh, but it's all the same thing. There's a, it's a parallel energy world that exists. It's not separated from us. It's here, it's now. All dimensions exist here and now. They're just vibrating at a less dense level. Mm-hmm. And, but they're all, they're, everything is here. 
And that's one thing I think it's important to get across. A lot of people think of this concept of heaven as being some imaginary uh, realm uh, separated from us, and the non-physical realms are somewhere up or wherever, and nothing could be further from the truth. We are multidimensional. We are existing in all dimensions currently, and all dimensions are inside of us. They're all here. They're all ne- they're as close as our heartbeat. Mm-hmm. They're just, it's like levels of density. It's probably a more, a clear way to put it. Right. Each inner dimension becomes progressively less dense and more thought responsive. And that's what's interesting, more thought responsive. Because that is why our thoughts can mold these thought forms very, very easily and quickly. Because they are, they're no longer dense. And as we move inward within ourselves, which is into the universe, each, each universe or each dimension that we enter becomes even less dense and more thought responsive. Mm-hmm. So with, this is, our body is like the end result of a chain of events. And so is the creative process. Because mm-hmm. we are, we're a microcosm of the universe. Right. And so are the, you know, as I keep thinking of when you're asking people to look around their room and, and look at the denseness of the furniture, same thing. It's, you know, our bodies, the, the TV, it's all, the, it's the end result of something that started out in a less dense, uh, I use the word space, but it really is a lack of space, frankly, you know, yeah, well, you know it's, it's yeah. all here and now yeah, there's no separation. Now. And I think that's an important point to emphasize no question and you know when you're talking about that psychic or that uh um medium well more accurately sensitive i think is the word that you used that are able to read and i i agree with you that are able to read uh read or pick up on certain subtle energetic thought forms around a person you know you're talking about these lesser uh dense areas being simultaneous, not simultaneous, but concurrent with the, the dense areas, our own aura, we're carrying that with us in our own aura. So those dense uh, pockets, if you will, are all around us at, at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, everything, everything, our future is we are right now at this very moment, all of us mm-hmm. are creating and molding our future energetically mm-hmm. with the very the very thoughts that we focus on right and we are in many cases negating certain aspects of it by the negative energy that we throw out that's right i mean <laughs> it, it isn't and it, and then the other aspect of it is being open to these changes that are occurring so there's it's, it's a continuum of creation that's always in process. It's quite amazing. I feel strongly that's one of the reasons that we're in a body. We have to learn through trial and error to become masters of our own creative process. And I've used an analogy many times in the past. Everybody talks about heaven and this concept of heaven and what it would be like. Well, let's imagine if heaven was... Uh, and a reality that is instantly thought responsive. Mm-hmm. You have to ask yourself, and I ask your listeners to ask yourself one question, and that is, who would you want standing next to you in a perfect, instant, thought responsive universe? Who would you trust to have next to you? Who who would you want next to you has a mature, perfect control over their thoughts? where they only are projecting positive, where they're, in other words, it's, it's, it gets to be a little scary. Right. Because how many people do you know are that enlightened? The, and this is one of the reasons I feel we're in a body. We're like, in a way, it's like the, it's a training ground, it is a training ground for people to learn how to, not only to, become disciplined enough that to control their own manifestation process. And where do you put being, thought people, let's call them just non-physical people, people, 
who are undisciplined in their creative thought process. You put them in a slowed-down molecular environment where they can do no harm, hmm. which is, of course, where we are right now. So it's it's like a uh, it's like the playpen of the universe <laughs> for those that have not controlled, have not learned how to develop and control their thought creations. You put them in a place where it's not only slowed down. But it's so dense that you have to really focus and really have a strong intention to create. And that is what I feel is part of the training ground is. It's a slowed down molecular training ground for developing consciousness. Just to be able to speed it back up again. <laughs> Where we can, once we become masters and prove that we're masters of our own creative process and will do no harm, only then are we really evolved enough and can graduate into the higher dimensional realities where we are, can coexist in an instant thought responsive universe. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that was the next question I was going to ask you. you. You kind of beat me to the punch. And that's this whole idea of you've talked about countless times in the out of body state. What you have witnessed is an instantaneous thought responsive anything. You think I'm in China and you're there or I'm 20 years younger and instantly you are. Um, and as you said, but in order to bring these thoughts into the 3D, it takes longer because we're talking about a separation uh, or the perception of a separation of time and space on the 3D, whereas in the OBE or astral state, those measurements don't exist. But I, my, I guess my question is, um, because remember, we're trying to figure out how we can utilize a regular practice of OBEs as a, a, a not a playground, but a, a space to manifest you're going in the astral, tell me if I'm correct, in the astral or out-of-body state, because we're absent of time and space, we're in an instantaneously thought-responsive place. Here we're not. But the goal is to bring it from there to here. I don't even know quite what the question is, but there's a similarity there. We're trying to bring that manifestation that's instantaneous there to here. Yes. And we have that capability. During an out-of-body state, if you have developed self-control and are during itself, this is why I teach, as you know, at the Monroe Institute, I do a six-day workshop mm -hmm. on self-initiated and controlled out-of-body exploration. It's called the OB Intensive. Uh -huh. And a large part of the training that I teach at the Institute is not only how to have an out-of-body experience, but how to control it to stabilize your energy field. And now this is what we're really discussing. Hmm. You have to be able to not only leave your body self-initiated, control it, which is a learning process, of course, because then you have, to, you have to get over any fears you may have. And then you have to stabilize your energy field. Once you become let's just say adequate at stabilizing your non-physical energy field, you can begin to manipulate the environment around you by your uh -huh. focused intention uh -huh. and by the manipulation of your, in other words, by the way you focus. Now keep in mind, the astral is, the next level up is not the astral. It's a denser region. I call it, I, many in the past have called it the etheric. I just call it the parallel world. That area is still very dense. We have to go to the next level, which is the astral. And even that is not totally instant. Only until you get into the thought realms of pure thought is it instant. There's still a delay for most people in the astral. Mm -hmm. But you're much closer to the source. So if you're, a, let's just say, for those who have developed the ability to stabilize their energy body in the astral dimension they can begin to, let's just say, manipulate the energy around them. They can manipulate, they can create the energy forms they choose, and they can stabilize the, these energy forms by the very thoughts that they're holding. Because the environment, remember, this environment is a thousand times more subtle than the physical. Mm -hmm. And you can just focus on whatever it may be and you can begin to manifest it before you. 
It's an amazing process. You can witness this yourself. I have. You have. Yeah. Yeah. I you want. Can, yeah. You can. Wit- in other words, what you can do is create the energy mold of something that will manifest in the physical world. This is what the ancient forms of magic were really about. Mm. They would go inward into an altered state, and they would make shifts of, and this is what shamans are also known to That's do. Right. Mm-hmm. Shamans are famous for making alterations of the unseen dimensions to affect the, the seen or the denser dimensions. And you do this by just stabilizing your energy field and focus on whatever you wish to create in your life. And you bring it into, let's just say, 3D form in the astral. And this is the, now what you've done is created a new form, the mold, the substructure of a new creation in the physical world. I have this vision of a cast when you're casting something, uh, even a dental cast, whatever, you know, a mold, like you said. So this is this is a point, a sticking point. This is something that I really would like to stick with for a little while, because, again, everyone's experience is going to be a little bit different, but I think that there's a pattern that we're seeing emerge. So let me see if I get this straight, William. If, let's say, I have consciously, in my 3D form, in my brain, I'm thinking, I want to manifest, okay, we'll use a car, because that was brought up earlier, something simple. I want to manifest a particular kind of car. You're thinking that consciously. You then go into the OBE state. There's several steps that need to be mastered first, not the least of which is stabilizing that energy field. And then you, what? You're, what are we doing here? What's the next well, step? Well, let's use the cars. Then you would just focus on the picture or the image of a car in your mind. And the very act of doing that will create the external energy image of a car on the astral. So you would see that, you described it earlier, as a holograph, sort of a holographic representation yes. while you're, we'll call you it could, out of body. Yes, uh, and whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. Yeah, but it, let's use the car. Yes, you could, you could create a car. You could create, and it will happen... If you trust yourself, mm. it will happen very quickly. People, this has been done since the beginning of time. But people, most people are, this is really the unseen mechanics of miracles. Yeah, sure. This is. is how miracles are manifest. People are in connection. Someone like Jesus, for instance, had, had the ability to heal. And there's been hundreds of saints and prophets that have had all kinds of capabilities. But they have, they were open to this idea of manifesting the non-physical realm. <laughs> and they would bring that into fruition by being open to that image they've created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they manifested it by just the process. Now, during an OBE, you're closer to the Let's just call it the formation, the energy formation to the substructure of this image. And because you are consciously active, it's a very powerful state. And you can mold any energy that you wish. Because mm-hmm. all matter is energy. That's right. You're molding energy and now you're just focusing on it and creating this energy mold that eventually will become a physical mold. Yeah. You know, it seems to me, as you say, because you're, you're conscious in that state, reminds me of the state we are in, in a lucid dream. So my question becomes, might we try the same sort of technique in the lucid dreaming state? There, Some in our audience are probably, uh, you know, accomplished lucid dreamers. I've had a couple myself. I think that too takes practice. But in terms of the whole idea of manifestation, are we not in that sort of uh, subtler uh, realm anyway when we're yes, dreaming? Indeed. Yeah. The same applies. The same process applies in a lucid dream. We have the ability to shape and mold our reality in a lucid dream. Uh-huh. Now, many people state, some writers state, that there's seven levels of a lucid dream. So I'm talking about a lucid dream where you are incredibly conscious not some uh, flighty thing, where you have control of your reality. And many people have this in their lucid dreams. 
uh, there's people that, that this is their main, let's just say this is one of the main ways they explore their own state of consciousness is by lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. And many people today have the ability in a lucid dream to consciously create and what you're doing essentially. That's why it's very important that you know what you're doing yeah. so you create something that you really want in your life. Because let's face it, your subconscious mind can go wild and create anything. Sure can. Including, you know, negative things. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to be aware that as the creative source, let's say, of these energy forms that we are molding around us, we have to take responsibility for the forms that we are molding. Because they are our future reality if we continue to do so. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet, I think there's still this sort of malleability or pliability to these because they're not in the densest form yet. So again, the question becomes, which is a hotly debated issue, is the future set in stone? I tend to think not. Um, however, I think the more momentum we put behind a, you know, a given future, the more likely it can manifest. But it can also be altered based on, you know, sort of putting a, a, a a different thought form out there and being equally as persistent with that, right? So it's constantly in a state of flux, it seems. Into oh, life. absolutely. It's a very malleable state. Yeah. And that's, but we, we all, the main thing to remember is that we are the central player. We are the, the core. Everybody looks outside of themselves or many people looks outside themselves mm-hmm. for, let's just say assistance. Uh, and, you're, you're, we're looking in the wrong direction when we do this. It's like looking outside yourself when, for to be, the current term is to be saved. The Buddha said it best. No one, you know, we must save ourselves. No one can, no one may is a quote that he made, you know, 12 centuries ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very true. I mean, we have to first fully take responsibility for all the creative processes that are under our control, Mm -hmm. our thoughts, our emotions, the passion that we have for different, which is energy. We have to be open and very open to the fact that we are not only responsible for every thought and every emotion, and we are constantly spewing these out into the universe around us. Constantly. I and that's why it's important that we take, we, we take total responsibility and don't look outside yourself and point. When you, you know, many people today are always pointing their finger out at someone did it to them. That's right. The government, the church, their parents, you know, whatever. This is the most negative of thought forms you can possibly create because you completely disempower yourself when you do this. And you negate your ability to create your own reality. I want you to stop right there and take a sip of water because <laughs> you're so passionate. <laughs> take a little pause for a minute. Uh, and as William is taking a sip of water, I want to just hopefully everyone who's listening is really taking these things to heart and really taking the time to examine our thought forms, whether uh, positive or not so positive. And in the absence of taking control of our thoughts, all that seeks to think for us, uh, which is probably one of the major reasons why we're going through all the strife that we are. And I say we, I can't speak for everyone. And uh, I have um, some ideologies that fortunately don't mesh with that, but we all need to take the time. Because uh, I think we're really being pushed right now to do that. I've had this conversation with several several people on this show about the, the ugliness being so uh, heavy and dense right now. On one level, we may think of it as it's uh, as an enemy and the evildoers. And on the other hand, it may be the universe's very, very, uh, very strict way of pushing us to the point where we can't take it anymore and, and, and start to really ignite our creative power. So all of what William is saying uh, has merit. And I think if we are able to take the lenses of belief off, even for suspend them for a little while, we too will say, you know, I think he's on to something. And I think it's worth our time to spend a few moments 
on a regular basis in uh, in silence and contemplate these things so we can take that next step. All right, you're back with us? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, one of the big questions I think we all have to ask ourselves is, um, what do we believe and why? That's right. What supports our beliefs? And because often these beliefs can be very restricting and inhibiting us in our creative process. You know, we've been told that uh, uh, many of us from a very young age have been, we're kind of put into a box of who and what we are and what our capabilities are. And... Did I lose you? I think I lost William. Okay, let's pick it right up. And I can say for our audience, we know our good old Skype um, (laughs) decided to take a little break, even though we hadn't planned on it. So we're back right now. So let's see if we can pick this up where we left off. What were we talking about? All this manifesting. Hope we didn't manifest the the break in our connection. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was. I think it really comes down to us having the courage to really examine. Sure does. Uh, you know, one of the, the and I, I'll use an analogy of something why it's so important to do this. You know, one of the basics, uh, probably the prime basic tenet of humanity, is that we're physical humans. And one of the first things I learned in my out of body experiences, after about a year of having OBEs is that when I prolong my out-of-body experiences, my humanoid form, my male identity, all of that would begin to dissolve away. My hands would dissolve away. My feet would dissolve away. And if I prolong my out-of-body experience for more than, you know, there's no time in that state, but let's just use the term of a few minutes. Mm -hmm. As I prolong my out-of-body state, my entire humanoid form began to dissolve away and I became like a teardrop or a globe of consciousness. And then as I prolonged it even further, I became a point of consciousness. In other words, I'm not human. We are not human. And yet that's one of the great belief systems of our, and the probably the basis of our entire society. Of course. And if that is flawed, just imagine if that is flawed. Imagine how many other beliefs about us that we hold are flawed, and not just flawed, but false. False. <laughs> I mean, you know, in other I, words, yeah. we're we're not male and female. We're not. We're all these identities that we connect ourselves to limit us. We're not. We're not Chinese. We're not Americans. We're not. We're not male or female or all these identities are are flawed projections. Mm-hmm. We are just pure consciousness with unlimited capabilities. And that's why it's important to recognize that. Then we become, only when we fully recognize our full capability as just a creative soul, can we really begin to become master manifestors. Yeah. I want you, if you would, I'm... This is really something that I think most people, had they not had the experience, would have a hard time getting their heads around, Bill. And that's what you just described, that the more you were able to prolong your out-of-body state, the the less dense you became. Now, I, I don't know if I can ask you to describe it any better, but maybe elaborate a little bit. I'm just trying to imagine I am in the out-of-body state. And initially, are, are we assuming that... In the initial stages, you're still somewhat aware of even your etheric body, let's say. So you're in this state and you're seeing yourself. Are you aware of hands in this state? I'm not talking about what you're looking over, your body that you're looking over, but what are you seeing it with through your astral eyes initially and then graduating or migrating from that to the point where you're just a point of light? If you may, elaborate on that a little bit more. Well, most people in the initial out-of-body experiences, you hold your self-conception. So for the first year, I still was a male. I was still, I was just like I am now. I was exactly the same because that is the self-identity that I held of myself. It's only after repeated experiences and repeated experience of traveling beyond your physical limits and moving inward into these other dimensional parts of yourself, 
that's when you begin to realize that your own that our capabilities are not limited to this three-dimensional form right and that's when you begin to it begins to dissolve away because you no longer need to think for a moment there's no air in the outer body in the non-physical or in the afterlife the entire afterlife all of us are going to die there is no air there there's no molecules there's no molecular structure there's so think about it it's a whole different game with new rules there's no need for ears. What do, you, what do you have eyes for? There's nothing to see. You use your mind as a perception. And your mind is forming these images that you hold of yourself. But when we die, there is no density. There's no molecules. All the things that we're used to and accustomed to. For instance, there is no gravity. There's no mass. So all the things that we take for granted are gone. And we you quickly realize that the the entire rules of reality have changed. Right. And that you you in other words, if you want to fly, you fly. The only thing limiting someone in the out of body state is their own self conception and the and the limits that they bring with them. And this is what limits many people at the beginning because they still believe that they're a... For instance, if you believe that you're a, a three-dimensional human female, you will continue to exhibit that form and all the limits of that form. Absolutely. And I think that that is something, you know, a whole other discussion, but those who have passed that, you know, it's said they get stuck, perhaps that is the, 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 the con- those are the conditions by which they get stuck is because they're holding on so heavily to the three-dimensional familiarity that they're, they're inhibiting themselves from moving through those levels and, and continuing to look at themselves from a physical perspective. Oh, absolutely. We all carry our own limits with us by what we choose to believe about ourselves and accept this is why it's so important to reappraise everything. Mm-hmm. Because consciousness is not human. Right. Consciousness uses the humanoid form as a vehicle and a tool of expression, temporary expression in the physical world. And w- once you realize that, you begin to get a handle on, oh my God, I am an unlimited spiritual being with unlimited capabilities to create my reality in any way that I choose. This is, inc- this is a huge revelation because once you accept that throughout your being, the limits begin to melt away and so does your external form because they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And well, then you begin to become more increasingly unlimited in your capabilities to explore just, let's say, other dimensional realities. Mm-hmm. As well as manifesting. Uh, and as well as that, ma- unlimited manifesting. Isn't that something? Well, let me ask you, when did you have that epiphany, Bill, in terms of, oh, my gosh, I'm unlimited? I mean, wh- was there some sort of uh, threshold that you crossed, so to speak, in the out-of-body state, th- some sort of an experience that just told you, hands down, this is a lot bigger than I thought? Oh, absolutely. There was a, um, I've had a, a- quite a few different events that were quite shocking to my sense of reality because uh, for the first year I hang on I was just like anyone else I was I was walking around the etheric level in my non-physical body uh-huh. acting just like a, I would as a physical person and then one day spontaneously I forget exactly what year this happened but uh, it was in the early 70s. I had a spontaneous, what I call a shocking experience where I suddenly found myself, and it felt like, I, it's difficult to convey this, but I found like right out of the gate when I began to have my OBE, I found myself, and my mind interpreted this as I was shooting up through layers of color. Now, of course, now I know better. I was moving inward. It was my mind's interpretation of a huge shift of consciousness. And it was scary. It was frightening mm. because you feel like you're losing your everything, all your concepts of reality. But my my state of consciousness was shooting up what through layers of color 
and to make, for lack of a better word, because it's beyond uh, the ideas of thought and form, but I found myself floating in what I would, what my mind perceived as a sea of pure white light and consciousness and knowledge and just pure love. And that's when it hit me. I was no longer humanoid. I was no longer Bill or Buhlman. I was something else. But I still maintained the essence of me, but I had no form. And that's, that's when my, I was awakened to the fact that, oh my God, this is what I, this is me. Without all that facade, without all the three-dimensional projections that I'm spewing, beyond the thought forms, beyond the 3D imaging and, the, and the, all the projections of consciousness, that's when I realized that this is what I really am. I'm the capability of creating any form I wish. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, throughout the ages, I call it the higher self-experience for lack of a better word. That was my first higher self experience where I found myself beyond all three-dimensional 3D realities. You knew it. You knew and, I, and it was like this, and you knew everything. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, when I come back to the body, I was back to being dumb Bill. <laughs> but at, no. in that state, I felt like I was connected to everything. You're not dumb, Bill. <laughs> but that's what I felt like. I understand. I, I felt because at the moment, at that beyond time, beyond space, beyond thought, I, yeah. I felt connected and knew all. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. But when I returned to my body, I felt back to what? Oh my God! I'm. You can't hold that kind of information or knowledge or whatever you want to call it. It's been said that if, and again, these are discussions and ideas that have been, uh, that have come from our indigenous cultures and oldest religions. And also the idea that if you were to be able to sustain that kind of knowledge and in the physical uh, body, that it could, in fact, annihilate the physical body, that the physical body isn't even designed to hold that much information. And so for those who have the ability to sort of traverse the physical and non-physical, bring back the pieces that are necessary, our shamanic cultures that do that. It's sort of a balance and a rhythm. So you, you yes. really have, uh, I, I want to use the word privilege, but isn't it not, is it not all of ours to experience? That's Oh, absolutely. There's nothing special. I, I don't, yeah. I'm not special. This is one of the things I try to teach everyone in my workshops, yeah. that I, during an OBE, you can demand it. You can go into an OBE state, go to your astral body, stabilize your astral body, and then make the firm request, like, higher self now. Make it a demand on yourself to experience that inner aspect of yourself. Mm -hmm. Use a term that resonates with you. It could be spiritual essence now or spiritual core now. And then... Some people are open to the experience. Some, it all depends. Each individual is different. Mm-hmm. But in other words, don't take my word for this. Try it. Try it. Do it yourself. That's one of the reasons I teach self-initiated out-of-body experiences is so people can have this profound experience for themselves. Absolutely. Do you think that the numbers of people that are using this as a regular practice have gone up in recent years? Definitely. Of self-initiated obese. Yeah. Like people practice yoga and meditation. Oh, absolutely. They uh, have. And it's true. connected to other forms of, for instance, many yogas, many forms of yoga can initiate an OBE. Sure. Yeah. Just like uh, people in ayahuasca can have an OBE. This is a natural experience. It's not, you know, the term out of body is a misnomer. It's really a... a it's an experience of your true self right. beyond the body. You transcend the body, yes, but it doesn't mean you necessarily have to leave the body. Mm-hmm. You're really it's going in. Matter of reconnecting with your true self. Right. Understood. There are really no lines of demarcation. You think of these practices; they they may have different sort of. They're called modalities of meditation and yoga. And you know, I've heard of people that have had. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the air before, but a, a friend, a good friend of mine who will go unnamed, uh, professional who flew a lot at one point, and he would talk about seeing himself. He would go out of body sometimes on these long flights. 
and brace yourself, see him, a depiction of himself on the wing of the plane. I'm not kidding. Yes, yes. Many people have these experiences, especially, um, let's face it, many of the yogis for 2,000 years have been resort, have been, re, they've been recalling and writing about transcendental type experiences. Mm-hmm. And this is nothing new. The Bible has these transcendental experiences. Sure. Different holy books of every culture talks about people transcending the body and having a profound spiritual experience. But what are they really doing? If you're transcending the body, you're having an out-of-body experience. That's right. That's it's right. just a matter of semantics. It's just a matter of semantics. We're going to leave it there because we're over time, but this is, it yes. was worth it. <laughs> and we're going to pick it up again. You know, you're always welcome back here. I think our audience, I hope our audience is enjoying this, this little different angle that we tackled today and how to manifest via the out-of-body state. Now, as always, I want you to go, for for those who haven't been to his incredible website before, astralinfo.org, you will find techniques, you will find, um, obviously, where he's going to be speaking next, his event schedule. It's really a content-rich site, uh, Bill. You've done a very good job with it. So I urge you to go there. We'll have it linked up with this interview. And as always, I thank you so much, my friend, William Buhlman, for being a part of Higher Journeys Radio. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Who would you want standing next to you in a perfectly thought responsive universe? This question, as William posed it, is to help us understand that although as physical beings, we may not see instant manifestation of the people, places, and things we might want to have in our lives, our thoughts existing in the substructure of reality will eventually make their way into our 3D experience. So let's take responsibility for what we create. As he so clearly put it, we have to learn to be masters of our own creative process and not be resistant to unlimited change if we want to see our desired realities come to fruition. I encourage you to visit William's website at astralinfo.org to learn much more about the process of self-initiated out-of-body experiences. There you will find how-to guides and other resources to understand the powerful process of explorations out of the body. As always, I thank you for tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.